Who knew a trip to the pharmacy would make me feel worse? A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Welcome to part two in our series of unfortunate conversations. We've been talking body parts, remember? Last week, we read the passage on spiritual gifts as found in 1 Corinthians 12. This week, I'd like to read the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. I'd like to read Ephesians 4, starting from verse 1, where Paul writes this. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. And he himself, Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son as we grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, all the parts, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Do you hear this unity? Do you hear this? There is one, there is one, there is one, as he talks right at the very beginning. He's emphasizing the unity of the body, and yet he's also emphasizing the diversity. Both are true. We are diverse and we are unified. Paul's letting us know that when the body of Christ is mature, it shows itself in its unity. It shows itself, it shows its maturity in its knowledge of God's Son. Not just the knowledge that can run lists and state facts, but knowledge that acts. This maturity is seen when we're not like little infants tossed around by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Imagine that, a child, an infant, with a life jacket for sure, I don't want to get morbid, a child, an infant with a life jacket in the waves. A child in the waves would be unable, it would lack the ability to move itself in the right direction. It is too immature at this point. Paul's saying, as the body of Christ matures and grows and develops, which happens when everybody's using the gifts that have been given them, 
As the body of Christ matures and grows and develops, you will see the proper working of each individual part. Each individual part working together is necessary for us all to be growing in the knowledge of God. It's a cyclical thing. We grow in the knowledge of God and we exercise our gifts. And as we exercise our gifts, we grow in the knowledge of God and we grow in the knowledge of God and then we exercise our gifts. And as we exercise our gifts, we and others grow in the knowledge of God. And then we put this into practice. We put this knowledge of God into practice. Knowing the right thing isn't enough. We speak the truth in love. We say the right thing at the right time. Mature people do that say the right thing at the right time. They speak truth. They speak it in love. They know. They know the appropriate words. Toddlers do not. Which reminds me of another unfortunate conversation I had. Last week, I mentioned a whole list of questions I overheard when my boys were looking over my shoulder while I changed a diaper. They not only observed that and had questions, they also used to love it when I would blow on the baby's tummy to make her laugh. My one-and-a-half-year-old babies themselves thought that this was hysterical, and so did I. Well, maybe I thought it was a little less hysterical and maybe a little bit relieving, because during that one minute, while Greta was laughing, it meant she wasn't crying. See, Greta was a colicky baby for the first few months. And for those who want to say, she probably wasn't, she probably just cried, and you should have been more attentive. I would like to say false. That wasn't the deal. She came out crying, and for a couple minutes, I was glad her lungs worked well, but then it never stopped. I mean, she didn't cry when she ate. She didn't cry when she was sleeping, but pretty much the rest of the time, we were trying trick after trick after trick after trick just to make it stop. People loved giving advice about this one. You should just drive her around in a car, and then she'll stop, which could have been more practical if I didn't have two other toddlers and if I had enough money for gas to just drive around all the time. If I strapped her to me in a baby wrap, that sometimes helped. If I was walking, if I was walking with a bounce in my step up and down, up and down, normal walking or standing just wouldn't do it. And the second she felt my arms reach up to undo the baby wrap and set her down, she immediately voiced opposition and started to cry again. Some people suggested I put her in her car seat and then put the car seat on top of the dryer while it was going. There was so supposed to be something about the noise mixed with the vibrations that was going to calm her down. She didn't know that, though, and it appeared to me that the moment I set her on the dryer that was going, there was something about the noise and the vibrations that apparently made her feel as though she was in imminent danger because her crying turned to flat-out screams and her legs kicked and her head rocked back and forth so quickly, I was afraid she was going to give herself whiplash, and I wasn't sure how I was going to explain it to the doctor. Some people suggested you know, maybe if you try hold her real tight and speak quietly to comfort her. To them, I just said, you have got to be kidding me, right? Do you really think I would not have thought of that when I tried it already? For those of you unfamiliar with colic, Wikipedia, of course, the know-all, <laughs> Wikipedia describes it like this. Baby colic, also known as infantile colic, is defined as Episodes of crying for more than three hours a day, for more than three days a week, for three weeks, and an otherwise healthy child. Often, crying occurs in the evening. It typically doesn't result in long-term problems. 
The crying can result in frustration of the parents. The cause of colic is unknown. Treatment is generally conservative with little to no role for either medications or alternative therapies. Extra support for the parents may be useful. <laughs> tentative advice or tentative evidence, sorry, tentative evidence supports certain probiotics for the baby in a low allergen diet by the mother in those who breastfeed. Hydrolyzed formula may be useful for those who are bottle fed. Colic affects 10 to 40% of children. It is most common at six weeks of age and typically goes away by six months of age. It rarely lasts up to one year. All of these are facts. All of these are true. She was an otherwise quite healthy baby. Fact. Colic affects about 10 to 40% of all children. Fact. Colic affected exactly 25% of our children and 100% of her parents. Fact. Extra support would be useful for the parents. Fact. <laughs> Absolutely fact. The best advice or wisdom I heard in relation to colic was from my dad, who was a doctor. He said, the best we can figure with regards to colic is sometimes kids are colicky. Or they're, they're just bored. And by the time they can start to do something like roll over or crawl, they can use their energy for something other than crying. Likely, he said, she'll probably be an active kid. These things were all true. As soon as Greta started rolling over, the crying decreased. By the time she was six months old, when she would wake up in the night or after a nap, she would go over, pull herself up, stand at the edge of her crib, hold on, and just jump, 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 jump. She jumped through the mattress. We saw the springs. We flipped the mattress over and spun it around. She jumped through that side, too. We bought a new mattress. When she jumped through that one as well, we are like, let's switch her over to a big girl bed. That wasn't the only support I received, though as I was a parent of a colicky baby. The other support I found was from the pharmacy. Shortly after my daughter was born, my migraine headaches returned. I had had them for a bit in college too, but hadn't had them for years. Now the lack of sleep plus all the other things, I think, caused them to rear their ugly head in mine. I called the doctor who prescribed two different medications, one I was supposed to take regularly and one I was supposed to take just when a migraine would occur. I wasn't sure exactly what was which, and I was having trouble focusing on the phone with my crying baby in the background and all, but he assured me that the pharmacist would be able to explain what I should take when. A few hours later, when Kenny returned from work, the five of us hopped in our car and we drove to the local CVS. I was pushing the two boys around in the cart, and Kenny was walking slash bouncing slash jumping around with our daughter to keep her happy. This was definitely her worst time of night. I walked up to the pharmacist's window, and as I got closer, I noticed a long line formed at the pickup place. Ah! Kenny volunteered to walk around with Greta while I waited there with the boys. The boys were great. They sat facing each other in the back of the cart. They were laughing and laughing, and I found myself super grateful. At one point, I looked back to see what they were doing. That was so funny. They had been lifting up the other guy's shirt, and they were blowing on each other's belly, causing them both to laugh. I wondered for a second if that was appropriate here, but I decided I didn't care. They were laughing. It was fine. I moved up a couple people in the line. There were just three people ahead of me now. Kenny walked by to see how I was doing and stood next to me for a few minutes, kind of jumping in place, till Greta figured out she wasn't going anywhere and started to cry again. So he just kind of stood close by and paced. 
Now, there are only two people ahead of me. I was keeping myself at a respectable distance. I had my hand holding on to the back of the cart, and I would pull it with me as I progressed in the line. And then I heard a man start to engage my boys in a conversation, and I wished he wouldn't. It wasn't a safety issue. It was a sanity one. You see, my boys had ways of engaging strangers in conversations that made me feel uncomfortable. When they were little in their double stroller, they just yell, hi, 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 really loudly and kind of, kind of offensively until people would return their greeting. Then the people would look, they would see they were twins, and they started asking me all kinds of twin questions that I didn't feel like answering, and I didn't feel like taking all that extra time. So to make it stop, I told the boys occasionally that we were going to go to the mall, but with the tent stroller, which was a normal double stroller, but with a blanket thrown over them so they couldn't yell things at people. I'd be able to run my errands and get done twice as fast. Once, when I didn't have the tent stroller, the boys were enthralled watching a man smoke. He was sitting on a bench outside of a store. What I heard was one of the boys saying really loudly, Look, it's a person dragon! And then the other, feeling the need to clarify the statement, just straight up asked him, Are you a person dragon? So now I have to turn around to see what they were talking about and why they were saying this to him. Right then, the man breathed out smoke out of his mouth and his nose, and they stood there with their mouths wide open, staring. Then the man answered them, Nope. How can you breathe out smoke? They asked him. It's like, well, I'm just a man with a bad habit. So, of course, as we walked away that day, I had to define bad habit and that it's something, no, you don't want, even though it can make you blow smoke out of your mouth. And then they asked all kinds of other questions. So I had to tell them all kinds of other bad habits. So now I'm in line just two people away from getting my migraine medication. I just did not feel like listening to whatever it is the boys were going to say next. But this man started it. He was looking at the boys making each other laugh and said, looks like you're making your brother laugh. Is he tickling your dummy? And they both responded, we are tickling our tummies. Do you have a tummy? And the man said, yes, but nobody's going to tickle my tummy. I heard this and I was thinking, oh my goodness, these sentences sound so inappropriate. Get me out of here. And then right then, it was my turn. I walked forward the six feet, pulled my cart. The kids were behind me. I started listening to the pharmacist while I was listening to the man, while I was listening to my boys. The conversation sounded something like this in my head. It looks like you've been given two prescriptions for your migraines. One is for blah, 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 blah. And then I heard one of my boys say, are you a man? To this, a man, the man who had been talking them, to them for a while now says, yes. And then the pharmacist said, this one you take daily, the other one just as needed. And I heard the man say again, yes, yes, I am. And the other guy said, oh, if you're a man, then you used to be a boy. And at this moment, I realized why some parents did not use the medically correct term for body parts. And he continued, if you're a man and you used to be a boy, that means that you have a, and yes, he said it. And at this moment, I turned to the pharmacist and I said, is everything you're telling me written down somewhere so I can just read it later? And he assured me, yes, yes, it is. And while the boys were waiting and the pharmacist was laughing and my husband was watching, the man was frozen. What could he say? He didn't want to leave, leave the people in doubt. Yet what an awkward announcement to make at CVS. 
I grabbed my medications with my right hand. I grabbed the cart with my left. I didn't look back at the man. I just started pulling the boys behind me. The boys were really still. And, and I heard the man say, yes, yes, I do. To which I said, sorry. <laughs> I mean, sorry, they asked. I looked over at Kenny, who had distanced himself quite a bit from the rest of us. We met up at the door and we walked to the car quickly. We put the three in their car seats. We got in and shut the doors as quickly as we could. I immediately opened my pills and took one. Just, just being real here. The right one, too, thankfully. I turned to the back seat and I said, okay, boys, I don't think we need to ask anybody anymore if they're a man or a lady or if they used to be a boy or girl. Let's just try to figure that out on our own. And then if we're not asking them about that, we don't need to ask them about any of their body parts. Do you think that's a good idea? I do. I told them that, well, the words they learned and said weren't wrong. It's just kind of rude. We just don't say that in public. That's all. I explained there are some things we do say in private, and I explained that private was in our house or in our car, and that was it, nowhere else. They looked at me, and then I said, can we have a juice box? Not quite able to take the teaching, I thought. That should not be us. We need to be more mature than this. These young ones, what don't they know? They don't know how to say the right thing at the right time. They have to grow in knowledge. They have to understand. They have to read the room. They have to understand these things, and we are the ones to teach them. The same thing is true for us spiritually. We can't read the room. We don't know what the deal is with our lives and with life in general and with creation and with this world. We don't know how to live well on our own. We need to be taught, and God's word teaches us. We take in the teaching of God's word. We learn how to say the right thing at the right time. And in this context, we seek to build up the body. The mature person desires unity in the faith. Let's be that. The mature person seeks to use their gifts. The mature person seeks to build up others with a gift that they've been given. The mature person seeks to connect with others, the other believers. Let's be that. Let's be the mature person who desires unity. Let's be the mature person, the part of the body that uses their gifts and abilities for the good of others and the glory of God. 